no matter how good systems are, you still get individuals involved with them. Absolutely. Who, whose desire to tell people what they want to hear outweighs what actually should happen at the next step of that process. Uh, I'm desperate to tell people what they want to hear. Yeah. So no, no matter what the next step should be, it's uh, always is if you want to hear what you want to hear you just you need to phone me is this the show is this part of your interview is this when they ask you so if uh, if you if you were to discuss your flaws what mm. what would you be I'll, i mean i'll just tell someone anything they want to hear I've been, I've been thinking over and over again. I've had a lot of trouble sleeping since I applied for this. I, I, it's the second job I've applied for since I've been in the job I'm in now. I've been there 12 years. So I don't apply for jobs very often, so I don't often get this. And um, and actually, the last one was a referral by an agency, so I was quite laid back. I thought I was going to get it. All right, OK. <laughs> so th- this, this I've gone off and applied for off my own back. But... Um, I've been lying there at night thinking over and over again. Most of the questions I think they bring up, I'm quite confident I can answer. I've got pretty good technical knowledge. It's very similar to the job I'm doing now. So it's it's very similar in terms of the technical knowledge I need to have. Um, and I've got great get-outs for, for if I don't have a specific technical knowledge. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, no, I just leverage my, uh, my, my network of... Uh, of colleagues that I have across the uh, across the region, if I wasn't sure, of. which is a good, which I think is the mm. right answer. Yeah, absolutely. Because I'm suspicious of someone who mm. always has an answer when you secretly suspect that they mm. don't know what they're talking about. Oh, Nick, I come with a very strong toolkit and a very good uh, contacts book. Ah, okay, yeah. good. That's yeah, absolutely, good. toolkit. I come with the toolkit. Toolkit's a good word to keep using. It is. I like it. I'm just going to say toolkit, toolkit, toolkit until it is essentially meaningless. <laughs> And I, then cry, come please, I just want this fucking job. I think uh, I can't go back to my normal work now. I've moved on psychologically. I think uh, HR speak, etc. have already made the word toolkit a little bit worthless. Yeah. No, it is. I, Let's keep saying it, toolkit. Um, okay. No, but the question I, I, keep, I keep worrying about is the um, uh, describe any of your weaknesses or what are your weaknesses. Because it's really hard to answer without either seeming useless or smug as fuck. Yeah. You know, there's very little very little wiggle room in between those two extremes. I, I, this is one of those things where I wonder if people who are less self-aware than us mm. um, and less hardened on themselves, uh, it must be harder on them this bit because they're like, well, I genuinely don't have a clue. Whereas with me, mm. I've got a list of things yeah, I could absolutely. say. Like, uh, well... I think I'm very good. I've been very good at the jobs I've done, uh, but I'm not very good at all of the interpersonal bollocks that comes from working with other people because, I mean, you know what I'm talking Mm. about, panel. You know what I'm talking about. There are some people in the office where they're just holding everyone back IQ-wise and you feel you have – and they're normally the ones in charge. Am I right? So you feel like – and. That's normally how I answer that question. You see, conversely, with me, if it would be, it would be something like, "I just want to be left alone to get on with it and implement my own de- ideas." And anything you say to me that's contrary to my own personal opinions about this job is going to chafe my balls to fuck. You do know that, so just you will leave me the fuck alone if I get this job. I, uh, I or I have oppositional di- uh, uh, 
defiance disorder. Yeah, that's I see. No, I will immediately see you as the man the second I start working it. You do know that, don't you? Do you know, I've even made a point. Um, the organisation I'm working is within the NHS, uh-huh. um, and the organisation I'm going to is... Uh, really believe in it I think it's, it's ethically it's a really sound you believe uh, in the whole thing sound, I do but this sweet. one in particular I, re- I really like it and I like its ethos what I really like though is one of the criticisms I often hear of the NHS and I think rightly is um, when you look at its management structures you've got an organisation that is, is is roughly a Pareto split of, of individuals so it's eight, roughly 80% women more than that I think to 20% men mm-hmm. but generally it's vice versa when you look at board level it'd be the majority right. 8% men 20% women whereas um, at the trust board level so the sorry the executive level and the trust executives there's six of them and only one of them's a man which I sort of think is well that's right yeah that's representative of this organization that's absolutely correct that's your flaw that's what, what you can do you gauge gauge the panel because you won't know who the panel are to you no I, no I know exactly who oh, they are. I've already been told it's two people uh is it split evenly gender wise it is yeah so you can say uh, if I had to, if I had to describe one of mm. my my biggest issue, really, is mm. I'm something of a perfectionist when it comes to gender parity in the workplace. Um, and if I see any inequality going mm. on, I find it very frustrating and have to do something about it. Yeah. So I either I have to leave or the other dude in the room has <laughs> no, to leave, no, and I not, offer I not, offer to fight him. Not to like decide. not like gender parity is in the whole mm. panel parity that people yeah. do at uh, comic conventions. I mean, like. If you if you're in a position of if you're in a, a position where you get to have some agency or control of the team, mm. then you don't have to make decisions as arbitrary as the one you're talking about. You I will do. Well, I'm re- I, I really I really want it. I have a decent little team again if I get it. Yeah. Oh, I want that job so much. So if like if uh, if if one of the male members of staff who shifts the balance of the office comes yeah. in and sits at his computer someone else has to get up and leave oh believe me I mean one of the first orders of the day is to effectively manage the male members of the team out <laughs> until it's just all women yeah. as far as the eye can yeah. see uh, my fantasy is to work in a team that's very much like the cover of Jimi Hendrix Electric Ladyland try not to say that in the interview because people aren't be- going to appreciate the Jimi Hendrix reference. It sounds too, you know, jazz cigarette Shall I take – yeah, funny that. Shall I take a copy of the album cover yeah. with me for this reference? Is, this is my ideal workplace. It's I'll put a, it in my presentation a, pack of them for them. I base it on the idealised 1960s vision of sexual equality yeah. and uh, liberation. Well, wasn't the, the 60s uh, ideal is these bitches be gagging for me and I'm going to give these bitches what they want. Peace and love, peace and love, peace and love. Do you want me to put this out after Tuesday? <laughs> after the, can you put this out after dark? Um, it hate, goes out after hate, dark anyway. Hate sexist hippies. I, it, to be honest with, with you. you, it is one of my. Uh, are we going to start doing that? Are we going to start shifting all of the catchphrases? We have to port the catchphrases. The only thing you use want to watch out uses yeah. an airlock. Absolutely, we're going to keep, keep them, them here. For the next thing. Yeah, next thing you know, I'm going to start sort of raving and saying ah 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 Bob Carroll Jeez or something, <laughs> which would be horrific for anyone who's <laughs> horrific for anyone who's not heard the character I used to do on the Mumcast. But it'd be pretty horrific for anyone who has. That's true. Mm. They'd think, well, I only listened to two grown men. I only started listening to two grown men because it was roughly the same dynamic between those two guys with their mm. sumptuous and sexy voices but that that uh, uh, wankula thing it was just too much so I'm yeah. going to listen to two grown men now too much funny yeah so you can't infect mm. this show with no, wankula I, I, I promise you not that you have any control of it 
Well, you know, I mean, he's uh, just a guy who turns it is, up. It's this guy is the, the podcasting Dom DeLuise thing again, isn't it? Dun, dun, dun. It is, it is really exciting though, and it is terrifying. And going for jobs, and I don't do it, and I don't think I, I haven't done it very often. And I don't think I'm built for it mm. because um, it's one of those areas where you have to be. They kind of want you to be super confident about mm-hmm. yourself. And it's one thing knowing that you would be good at a job, but it's a whole other thing going in and selling yourself yeah, in an yeah. interview. It's quite difficult. Especially when on one of your strengths you say you're very good at presenting yourself, uh, whatever the um, whatever the audience. So you kind of if – you, if you put that on there, you've kind of got to go in and, and brazen and sort of brazen it out. Um, which is when I am, I'm, you know, it's, it's well slightly less than twenty four hours now. I am quaking in my boots. I'm really nervous. It's pretty nerve wracking. Mm. Uh, I'm pretty well you, prepped though. Have you put podcasting anywhere on your application? Um, no, there wasn't. I didn't. I don't think there really was an interests thing. It's a funny application. They don't want people with interests. I wouldn't. No. I wouldn't. <laughs> I wouldn't not talk about it. But it's also something I'm. I don't know. It's one of those things that worries me because I don't mind talking about it, but would it make a potential employer itchy? Yeah, Am I potentially going to say something about the organisation that would embarrass them? Well, you've never done – I mean, I've listened to every single thing you've podcasted mm. and you've never done I'm pretty that. discreet. Yeah, pretty mm. much. Um, less less discreet as time goes on. Yeah. I think we're settling into it a little bit now. I don't know. I've had some really dog-awful days when I've come along in here. I could have, I could have said some things, Nick. And I chose not to. I think as long as we don't name specific places or mm. jobs or anything. I, don't, I think you're doing well. I can appreciate how stressed out you probably are. Mm. It's been a – and we are going to talk about this a little bit anyway, um, I think, but because we can't help it. But it's been a difficult couple of weeks. Oh, it's been a horrible couple of weeks, Nick. <laughs> The, the way I'm kind of feeling at the moment, because I had to, uh, after a weekend uh, of pretty much relaxing mm. uh, with um, my little family, Amy and Noah and the dogs and our friends Oki and Matt, we normally each year, for the last few years, we've gone away and, and uh, rented a small uh, like house somewhere down on the south coast. Further down the south coast from where we are. I wish you could see what Nick's doing. He is he is gesticulating towards that's east. The, though, isn't he it? is he's gesticulating West. in an easterly direction, which means West. he's going Fairham Portsmouth way on holiday. Not Portsmouth way. Selsey Bill, maybe you're uh, going to uh, Pompey. Pompey. No, Pompey. Um, I hear nice we, things about it. Westerly, western to like we've been to Lyme Regis and places like Dorset, that. Dorset, Jurassic really nice. Coast, and it's a really nice place to go if you can get if you can get a nice house where you can take the dogs as well. It's really nice but we aren't going to be able to afford that this year and we're not going to be able to find the time so our my in-laws amy's parents very kindly uh, let us uh, just use their house which is a bit bigger than our house for and it's a bit nicer and nicer situated for stuff around oxfordshire um, so a country break essentially is what you yeah had this weekend. i mean they live in wantage so the actual house itself is in the middle of a housing estate but it's kind of a really nice it was big enough for all four of us and the two dogs and the which baby. is about the northern boundary of this organization i'm applying for a job i'm going for an interview with oh, tomorrow. nice nice part of the country mm. um and so we <laughs> so we had a, we had a nice relaxing weekend and it was it came at exactly the right time but of course 
um, and I've I've promised to give myself a bit of a break over the next couple of weeks because anyone who's been paying any attention over the last few weeks will a know that we have had big things going on, but will also b know that I haven't been coping great with just all of the different mm. stuff that's happening at the moment. And uh, today I had to write an email to um, I had to write an email to someone relating to a large amount of money in a house that wasn't what they wanted to hear. Um, and is probably going to make it very difficult for the buyer of our house to stay attached to our house because mm-hmm. they've been hanging on since January. Yeah. They've been amazing, to be honest, mm-hmm. and they would be right, rightfully pissed off with us at this point just by dint of having to be pissed off at someone, yeah. even though we know that none of it could really have been helped. I'm sure they listen, and I think that would have probably made them feel a lot better, Nick. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. So I had to write one of those emails. It's just made me kind of feel like I would like just a couple of days to go by where some huge piece of high stakes news didn't happen. Because I went most of my first 40 years <laughs> without really having to deal with yeah. too much tragedy or any major stress. And I had enough trouble coping with that. Um, I, the way I figure it, you can maybe handle some – you can maybe handle like one piece of high stakes news – or, or or tragedy news or stressful news, like world-altering news, maybe once a month. And you can handle one really big decision maybe once every six months to a year. Wow. You're, I mean, you're doing pretty well if you can go at that rate. But, yeah, I guess. I, strict, strictly speaking, you can only do – I think personally me, too much more heartbreak than that and I start to – for the news side mm. and in terms of making decisions my brain the way my brain cycles over every major decision I, if i can avoid doing it like maybe stick to one every three months maybe i don't know and once moment, a quarter, how about once a quarter once a quarter is good yeah uh, at the moment it's like every day yeah. every, every day for the last two weeks i've had mm. three big decisions or pieces of news or something that i've had to process and deal with yeah well, so well, i've been quite a large contributing factor to that which I've, I've, you've you've borne quite a lot with me over the last couple of weeks actually and I think our friendship's been tested and you me though to be fair mm. I haven't been that reasonable I don't so know so it's kind of um, the, the but I mean all of that aside trying to move house mm-hmm. right now and uh, all of the other stuff that's happening mm. it's just it just seems like it's one thing after another at the moment yeah. so um so, yeah. So, I mean, I guess last week was the worst, wasn't it? Oh, it was horrible. Yeah, absolutely horrible. For for people of a – okay, to fix us in time a little bit, the other podcast that James and I uh, do or have done, the mm. first – the reason we kind of got to know each other in the first place yep. that we've been doing – Absolutely, yeah. We're various friends for 250 episodes. Mm-hmm. I don't want to overstate this too much. But we had to make the decision to close that down so that we could move on to other mm-hmm. things. But yeah. the decision to close that down – and I keep, I just keep thinking about like I feel kind of guilty oh, I because do. we've upset – we seem to have upset so many people. And oh. I'm surprised and grateful almost mm. – grateful is the wrong word – but I'm kind of humbled by the reaction mm. we've had – to that, um, especially to the last episode, which wasn't wasn't my choice, but people seem to have loved the way that went. That was entirely James's show, and people loved it. I've had lots of people telling me they loved it. You're That's not on nice Facebook, thing. James, no. So you don't know 
It went against my instincts, we but had people a bo- liked it. We had a row about that as well. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah. But at that point, we were just rowing about it. I didn't. Um, it, it wasn't. It was. It was a. Dis, it was a, that we we were at the point last week. This makes it sound like it was entirely about us having a John and a John and Paul sort of a moment. Possibly. But it wasn't I, really. I tell you what's very comforting though, from my point of view, as I sit here at this point, and I'm lucky. Yeah. The only other piece of residual stress I have now is the interview I've got tomorrow, which will mm. rapidly go away once I've had it's the interview. Huge. Yeah, but it'll go away quickly. Whereas you know the, the stuff you've got going on is very long burning mm. stuff. But I, I, it makes me feel really confident in terms of Nick is a very important friend of mine. I do two podcasts a week with him, so um, it's probably just as well we get on quite well. But if, I feel like actually our friendship has gone through a test. That it's like, well, if this, if you can still talk to each other and feel happy, comfortable, and relaxed in each other's company, and get through the amount of bullshit we threw at each other last week, it, we, we're 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 pretty well set fair, I think. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's it sounds to people, it sounds to people who aren't in the loop because we haven't really gone into that much detail, but it probably mm. sounds to them like us arguing was the reason that we were having problems but actually I think it was a result of it I, we were at a point we were at a point last week where everything the the everything was ratcheted up so much for both of us that any discussion or de- debate suddenly became really difficult and we were both making decisions that were going to affect Lots a reasonable people, yeah. amount of other people yeah. as well which you know so there's guilt and all sorts wrapped up in there as well that yeah you have to deal with um, which was made somewhat worse by some of the lovely and moving comments and um, on that on that podcast I don't want to dwell on it too much it's really narcissistic isn't it hmm. but um, it, we did a podcast at least two podcasts a week and I'm worried about being narcissistic right I know now. it's crazy isn't that funny yeah I, I'm sorry I got distracted I was looking in the mirror <laughs> <laughs> it was the uh, contribution by David Wynn who I don't know if I should let light upon magic, but pretty much was whenever I used to go on from from really early on, and because Dave was one of the very first people who broke cover and said, I listen to you, I really like your show, pretty much from that point on, and it must have been around the 20s, I think, when we first got on, it, it was kind of Dave that I had in mind every show mm. that we did. It was I was performing to Dave, I felt. So to hear him... Um, sound so disappointed that we weren't going to be doing it anymore genuinely um gave me a wobbly moment it's um i felt really bad yeah i because in my head i'm super pragmatic to the point of being sociopathic and i kind of know we're going to try and do something Mm. similar Mm -hmm. together later on that this was um not a reboot because we hate those but kind of an option an opportunity to take stock of everything so for me i wasn't expecting other people to feel this way at all we've genuinely killed our darling there i mean we've we've, i mean it is it is gone it's not hopefully the three of us will do something very similar very soon but but momby's gone Hmm. except for some very reasonable merchandise i'm uh, putting together at the moment and you too could be the uh, proud owner of some more merchandise for uh, just a small consideration. <laughs> Actually, I should mention now uh, because it's a good time to mention it. Yes. the uh, Both uh, James and Jane have plans uh, for a, a, a podcast. Mm. I'm, I have plans with James and hopefully with Jane and, and mm. John to – to, to keep going on this and obviously we're we're still going here nothing's happening to 2gm although we are about to have two episodes um that will be pre-recorded 
but that's not because we're hiding anything from you, listeners. I'm, I'm going on holly bobs. Yeah. Um, but if you are, if you do listen to mom, uh, if you did listen to momcast, everything has to be past tense, doesn't it? Yes, that's heartbreaking. If you did, um, if you did listen to momcast, uh, and you want to be uh, in the loop. For the mm. next thing, I keep saying in the loop, I think, today as well, which is a bit embarrassing. Um, if, you, if you want to know about the next thing that's happening, I have set up a mailing list. Um, or femailing list, if you'd prefer. Or femailing list, yeah. Uh, it's tiny, uh, tinyletter.com, and I think it's tinyletter.com forward slash mombnext, M-O-M-B-N-E-X-T. Uh, check the show notes for this episode because I might have got that wrong. Um, the mailing list for Two Grown Men has kind of been on an unexpected hiatus for the last couple of weeks because um, obviously partly partly because of stuff that's been going on mm. and partly because with the podcasts uh, making it quite difficult to concentrate on anything else, partly because there was actually – it wasn't all emotional stuff. There was actually stuff that mm. needed to happen as well. And partly – and I don't think we were alone – I'm kind of speaking for James here, and I don't think we were alone, the two of us, in this. I, when I would have been doing the mailing list for this week's Two Grown Men, was around this. In fact, last week's Two Grown Men was just me doing a quick uh, a recap of what had happened the previous week. And the yeah, sorry, to be honest with you, that was me. That was kind of fallout as well, wasn't it? Me flaking on you last week. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was difficult. It was a difficult time, but mm. as I was procrastinating about editing that, because I always mm. procrastinate, the, the, edit, editing a podcast isn't a, isn't a small job. It takes a couple of hours, but normally there's a, a whole bunch of procrastination happening because beforehand as well, which adds to the time, because you're on your computer and you've got Twitter and Facebook and everything right there as well, um, especially because I have to go online to do show notes. I tend to do those as I go. And that meant that I was in this perfect spot, this real sweet spot to fully experience in real time the online uh, aftermath of Robin Williams Mm. dying. Yeah. Um, There was even – this is the first time I'd been this close to something like this. There was even that moment where I picked up someone mentioning it uh, I've seen it a couple of times, but oh, yeah, I was on, but, online roughly the same time. But then no one was entirely sure it had happened. Mm. And I had a little discussion with a friend of mine who'd managed to find something that said it was a hoax, which was odd. And so there, there was this 20-minute period where you weren't entirely sure, and it was it was kind of aggravated by quite a lot because of it. It's Robin Williams. Mm. I think a few people of a certain disposition, not just male, but you – but male a certain age um with any any point on a spectrum of mental health issues or whatever Mm. and who'd grown up with robin williams Mm. who were just completely useless for about 24 hours after hearing about that um it, it was unusual for me because i've seen other people get upset about other prominent deaths but i've never really felt it that strongly and Robin Williams was a little bit hit me a little bit harder than I was expecting it to. Mm-hmm. So, and also it, it kind of personally for me it hit me at a point where almost every wave 
of weird responses people are having to it, I'm having to restrain myself from taking really personally. Yeah. For example, someone was tweeting today, or maybe it was on Facebook, but they were saying um, that they were saying that the because it's one of the things in the news at the moment is that he had recently got a diagnosis of Parkinson's yeah. disease. Mm-hmm. And so someone was pointing out, well, it's only it's only taken literally five minutes for someone in her timeline to say, well, they knew there had to be something else for for why it couldn't have just been depression that he killed himself over. Because yeah, no one ever kills themselves because of that. And and the reason I'm trying to restrain myself from taking any of like, like really getting upset about any of that stuff and frustrated about any of that stuff is a, it's very difficult for people to understand, even a lot of people who have, like some level of depression or or some condition but don't necessarily realise it. They just think they're glum sometimes or something. Um, it's very difficult for people to empathise with anyway. Um, I find it difficult to empathise with a lot of people because I tend to just get it situationally anyway when things are really getting on top of me. But at the same time, a suicide uniquely does that to people. People try and work, even if you're not, even if you don't know the person you're trying to work out why they could have done it. Because the... I, I get it because it's a kind of an existential fear because the fear is if you can't work out why someone did it, then it could literally happen to anyone. You know, it could happen to you. I think that's where... A, not mm-hmm. you specifically, James. We all know how you're going to die. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the fear kind of hits people, especially if... They're people who are completely oblivious to how sad clownish characters are. Mm-hmm. If they only ever saw him and he looked upbeat and happy on TV and that's all they ever interpreted, mm. it's understandable that they would be looking for something deeper than the story that is being presented to them as to why it it, it would have happened. And I've known a few people, a few of the people I know who've talked about who've talked about trying to get stuff done this week have had that same situation they sat down to try and write something either about robin williams or not about robin williams and were just like no i need i need a bit longer uh, which i'm quite glad to hear you say because i've had oh god there's no, there's no way to say it without sounding cliched struggles with depression but i it's taken me a very long time to come to terms with the fact. So, you know, I, I always wrote off um, my depression as I had depression when my dad died, mm-hmm. and now I just get blue. Mm-hmm. Like, no, actually, for the last fifteen years, on and off, I get depression um, to a to a lesser or greater extent. And um, the most recent bout I went through was particularly bad. I went to some really nasty lows. Mm-hmm. And last week was problematic for me, aside from the the podcast stuff, um, was problematic for me for two reasons. One was um, how concerned in the immediate aftermath, and my my wife was hearing about um, what had happened and sort of thinking about her own situation as being someone who lives with someone who has depression. You know, it gave her fears and concerns for the future, obviously. But what, what I found really difficult to put up with was... And and I understand some people need the catharsis of talking, and I think it's really good to talk about depression. What I don't think is really good is to talk about the depression um, in a knee-jerk reaction to someone very famous who suffers from that condition dying and, and, and communicating your thoughts about depression in a way that 
kind of presents the condition as um, consistent uh, a consistent experience for anyone. It's a really individual, personal thing, depression. Mm. You know, it affects everyone differently. And I was getting kind of pissed off and fed up with everyone offering their two fucking cents on Twitter as to why either their depression was the most... Imp- no, I'm going to be unfair to people because, you know, they have to deal with it. But But people trying to offer... Um, experience is definitive and people trying to offer opinion as definitive mm-hmm. in the fallout of, of someone who was really important and really iconic for for our generation I, I just I, I've never I've never really experienced it before but last week I actually and I, I hesitate to use the phrase but, but genuinely felt this found a lot of that triggering Mm-hmm. And actually, was compounding how I was feeling and making things worse. And I, I almost get a feeling like my experience is kind of consistent with what you spoke about there, with you talking to friends who couldn't get their words down on paper. I don't think I could have last week. I don't mm-hmm. think I, it was just all a bit too much, to be fair. Emotionally, you need to sometimes get a bit of distance to try and work out how you feel about this stuff. I'm. I I don't know, but I think sometimes that that's when Twitter actually can be quite a painful place to be. Yeah, absolutely. Is is when people feel like they have to get this stuff off their chests, and I, I think it's it's good to talk about depression. It's not always, it's never good. I don't think to talk about it in a reactive way. I mean, I I found yeah I, I I'm I generally find Twitter quite difficult in any sort mm. of. Uh, Trending situation mm-hmm. where everyone's talking about one. Well, it thing. can be a force. It can be a force for good. I think this week, mm-hmm. um, the coverage of the, the what's going on in Ferguson, yeah, Twitter, the, and, the, and the, kind of that's what Twitter's at its very best. And it's it's weird. Within seven days, I think I've seen Twitter in particular mm-hmm. at its best and its worst. Yeah, I think that's I think that's accurate. Ferguson's a weird situation because mm. it, you shouldn't need Twitter to hear about something happening in a town mm. in America. And I don't, I don't, think, I don't think you do. It's just Twitter gives it a prominence that um, that I, I'm not sure that the editorially the BBC can do. Oh no, for I example. Know, well, no, I mean, mm. uh, I I read an I read an article earlier in the week about how just the way the algorithms on Facebook work, mm-hmm. um, we in in a way that rewards newness of something okay. spikes. In sure. behaviour meant that you were hearing lots mm. about Ferguson on Twitter, but you weren't hearing very much about it on Facebook. But it wasn't really in; the, it was hardly in the news at all. Mm. So, um, and I don't think that was unique to mm. us. I got the impression it wasn't in that much mm. American news mm-hmm. because they were arresting journalists and stuff. Well, yeah. So it's kind of uh, they were they were trying to enforce a sort of a media blackout. It seemed like, which it's, is crazy in an American town. It's, it's it is kind of terrifying. Um, but I know, I know it's you not mean. even kind of terrifying. It's actually it is actually terrifying. terrifying. Yeah. And I, I know what you mean. And to be honest, I was uh, kind of surprised by how I guess people who know me wouldn't have been because it was late in the late at night when I was reading about it about Robin Williams, and it was going to be several hours before I got to talk to anyone before I got to talk to Amy. I was blurting out quite a lot, but at the same time, I was talking very much about what I thought of Robin Williams, but I was seeing within minutes of um, 
within minutes of the news breaking, people were starting to tweet stuff that I know they tweeted when Philip Seymour Hoffman like it's it's as if people i felt like a lot of people seem to have a bunch of numbers a bunch of phone numbers or websites mm-hmm. support websites and 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 go to links mm-hmm. and stuff like that none of which is a bad thing because apparently apparently when someone really prominent or when there is a really prominently reported suicide mm-hmm. that the, the amount of suicide spikes sure. i've heard that a lot in the last week so maybe that's useful but at the same time maybe talking about it and saying very definitive things as you said mm. linking that experience your experience and i didn't have stuff. any problem with people sort of suggesting that there are places to seek mm. help if you want it it was it was people sort of very yeah like i say talking very definitively about you know how depressed people feel i was like well fuck you because i don't no feel two people, like that. yeah no two people yeah. feel. the thing when it comes to brain chemistry mm. when it comes to anything to do with the brain mm-hmm. It's too complicated to say that about someone else, yeah, okay. I think. Yeah, I absolutely. think you can see certain behaviours and trends and like with evolutionary psychology, you can see in certain like, – like you can look at a group of teenagers and work out which is the alpha and which is all yeah. of that stuff. But how that comes out is never the same twice, not yeah. really. It just trends in a certain direction. I, I think so. for me part of my irritation as well comes from it, it took me a very, very long time to accept that I may have an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think – unusually with men in the UK, I'm not sure about elsewhere, I know, but I know that this is a fact with a, a lot of British men. The reason that depression goes undiagnosed is because you don't feel – you feel like you're making a fuss. Mm. And, you know, I still have my dad's message. I can hear my dad's voice in my head saying, stop feeling sorry for yourself and pull yourself together. Mm. Stop being so self-indulgent. So I, I, I think for me to accept depression, I was looking for a very set, um, uh, set group of symptoms um, with which I could satisfy myself mm-hmm. that I had a problem. Um and it was only going to a very nice, very considerate doctor who took me very seriously. I mean, to be honest with you, she's got, you know, an 18 stone man crying in her office. I suppose it's quite but mm-hmm. <laughs> hard not to take that seriously. But she took me very seriously. And actually, it was her acceptance that's helped me start on a road where I, I'm starting to take a bit more ownership, I think, for for my mental health or understanding my mental health. Whereas um, before that, I just, just thought I was a sort of glum some days I was jolly and 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 other times I was very glum I was starting to identify a cycle but you know I just thought no that's me isn't it it's me biorhythms I used to have a thing on me acorn electron where you'd work out biorhythms <laughs> I very like popular, biorhythms very popular in the 80s biorhythms I thought it's just me biorhythms well I I find biorhythms really satisfying because they kind of fit how I understand nature's cycle mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, if you get a they bunch of fit. if you get a hundred bo- foxes mm. and a hundred rabbits, mm. then pretty soon all the rabbits are going to die out, and then mm. the foxes are going to die out because there yeah. are fewer rabbits. Mm. But then, when there are fewer foxes, yeah. there'll be more rabbits, and that's kind of how that's I understand biorhythms. That's how um, that's how the dinosaurs ultimately went, isn't it? Because uh, it was um, the food chain got fucked. Yes, after the uh, they were fucking their food chain. Yeah, and and that's not a great because what you do is you're fucking the animals you want to eat if you're a dinosaur mm. you're fucking the animals you want to eat mm. uh, but then if you do it too much you start to mm. form an aff- affection mm. there's a bond there 
and then you find it more difficult to eat. But if you're a Tyrannosaurus rex yeah. and you suddenly feel an affection for all of yeah. the the prey yeah. around you, well, you're a carnivore. You're, you're, mm. not, you're not suddenly going to become a herbivore, so of course mm. you're going to die out. That and nosebleeds. You That's know about right. my theory of nosebleeds. Yes, no. T- Tyrannosaurus rex. I don't know about yeah. all the other dinosaurs. Tyrannosaurus rex definitely died out because of nosebleeds. Scratching their noses. No, no, they couldn't scratch shit with those oh, tiny exactly. So it's thing. using they've other got, things to scratch their noses with, is it? No, they've got giant nose. Yeah. They've got big old legs. Yeah. Tiny little arms. Stupid little arms. They run around yeah. a lot. How did they wipe their bottoms? Well, I mean, I don't think it was anything to do with bottoms, but maybe there was some sort mm. of infection thing happening there. I don't know. Mm. But basically, if you've got tiny little arms, but you're running around mm. all the time, you're going to trip over a lot. Yeah. No way to stop yourself. Uh, Nosebleeds. Good call. Talking of bottoms, Scarlet. Have <laughs> we finished on Robin Williams then? Just, just an aside. Okay. <laughs> Literally just an aside, an aside about my daughter. Um, it's the right show for it. No, it is. It's a good show for it. She, she, she's doing quite well. We were talking about rewards yeah. on a show a couple of oh, weeks yeah. ago. Stickers are doing really well, and we've actually found she wants an Equestria Girls, um, My Little Pony, and um, she should be able to, at the end of this week, she'll fill up a chart and have enough money to get one from Tesco's Extra. They're doing them um, for a, a price that she'll be able to afford this weekend. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that was me breathing. So... I left an edit point there for you, though, did you see? So if you wanted to take that out, you were perfectly capable of doing so, though. A bit more for you, though. Lost my train of thought now. Equestria Girls, very exciting. Uh, Reward stickers. I've got something to say about this, actually. She started to wipe her own bottom. Brilliant, because she gets a reward for it. But I've gone from having to wipe her bum to inspecting it to make sure she's got enough, because she demands it. She demands I inspect her ass. Very diligent. It is. Oh, so she sits there really grumbly going, I don't want to wipe my own bottom. I'm like, but everyone has to wipe their own bottom. Eventually, that's yeah. one of the three uh, mm. certainties of life. And I, and I stand there and I, I start trying to reason with her. And then I'm like, remember, she's four. And you can't reason with a four-year-old. They don't, they don't do reason. Well, they do, but not like that. I'm so... Uh, careful when it comes to wiping Noah's bottom that I'm slightly worried I'm going to give him a complex about it. So well, yeah, well, I have to kind of rein that in a little one bit. Um, but, so going back to Robin Williams, I, 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 I've watched more films than I, I normally do with these sort of things. Mm. Normally someone significant dies, he liked, and you, you go back and watch a favourite film. And I, I did that on, my goodness, Wednesday night maybe? Mm-hmm. Sounds and, about right. Yeah. We're talking about it. And my wife and I watched The Birdcage, which is... In terms of a Robin Williams film that we both love, we both love The Birdcage. I think it's a, such a great performance. I think performance. it gets overlooked a lot, you know. I think it's a wonderful film. I, because uh, it isn't one of his super serious ones, but it's also not one of his mm. obviously kid-centric ones either. No, but he he plays it really well, I, I think, you know, whether or not it plays into my stereotypes of what gay men <laughs> I, are like, though, I don't know. I think... I, I, I don't know. I think that if the only character in that if um, if the tone of the whole film was set by I can't remember the other chap's name. Yeah, no, it's bugging me now. Um, if the if the tone of the film was set by his boy, his husband in yeah. it or boyfriend, his I guess his partner, um, then I think it would be quite an uncomfortable watch. It already is a little bit of an uncomfortable mm. watch because he is so flamboyant. But Robin Williams' character is quite masculine, like it, it is quite unusual for mm. a. 
I think it probably is a gay stereotype, mm. but it's quite. It certainly at that time was quite unusual because, as a counterpoint, mm. he's a very uh, masculine yeah. character. He's not very mm-hmm. flamboyant, yeah. and he kind of and he he restrains himself quite a lot in it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think so, no, it's a really restrained sort of quite sort of studied performance. I think. Then um, watched Bicentennial Man, Mm -hmm. which has got quite short shrift um, from people as being overly sentimental. And and, and it is, it's syrupy deep in whimsy. But, you know, it moves quite quickly. The the, the character of the robot that Robin Williams plays is really sympathetic, really believable. And and there's quite a fast-moving cast of characters... Most of whom you sort of really buy into in terms. Of, I really liked it. It wore it really worked for me. I was quite surprised it was um, got um, as panned as it did. I think it suffered from being an uh, uh, an adaptation of a really well-loved classic book. book. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't read the book or mm. seen the film except for parts of it, and it didn't look bad. I read a fair bit of Asimov um, when I was younger, but I, I, not that. But no, I. I I really liked it. And Asimov's books generally a little more sterile, and that's not fair. They're exciting no, and interesting, so. but they are a little colder than they're very ideas heavy. Yeah, and um, then um, and then and then toys. I could not make make it through toys. I could not abide it's such it. Such a weird film, though. I couldn't. I just couldn't do it. It's a re- it's a really weird film because never it never felt like it gets going. Yeah, it looks, for all intents and purposes, like it's going to be a. A typical kids mm. film, uh, and it never quite does kind of, that. It's, it's really odd. It's got a weird Burton esque vibe going on, but about not it quite. As well, not yeah. quite as slick as Burton at that point. You know, yeah, absolutely. So. It was, um, yeah, really difficult. I think I gave it about three quarters an hour, and just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. But uh, what, what? I think the part I was getting to is I watched his film, just forgot what a wonderfully versatile performer he was, because you know. You must be the same as me. You remember him from Morgan Mindy, mm-hmm. originally, and then you saw a bit of his stand-up, I imagine. And he was fucking nuts. I lived with a bit of and his... Pop, and Popeye as well, I imagine. Well, I, I obviously saw Morgan Mindy because mm-hmm. we're the right age yep. for that. Interestingly, it's a show that everyone remembers, but I don't. you never really see it in repeat. It's not like Happy not Days. Now. Um, and But then the next thing I had was that Live at the Met yeah. stand-up. Which I must have. I, I don't think it was just that it was Robin Williams. I don't think we had much stand-up, unless you mm-hmm. had the. Uh, I guess it was around the same time as Eddie Murphy's stand-up. Well, I'm going to say there, there were there were three, weren't there? That Richard Pryor, Eddie Murphy, and Robin Williams mm-hmm. all made these, you know, big, brash, bold stand-up shows that I think most of us they were almost like um, contra- play playground contraband, weren't they? You know, yeah. And I must have listened. To, I must have watched that so much, and it, it was probably the first time I'd heard anyone talking about addiction. Yeah, really, mm. because he talks about it loads yeah. in that, and he talks about like I mean, he he talks about becoming a father for the first time, which mm-hmm. is kind of apt to us. But you don't get a sense that you get a sense that that gave him a sense of meaning. Yeah, that previously he'd been doing whatever the fuck he wanted to yeah, his body, yeah. and suddenly yeah. he was having to be responsible for someone else. Mm. Which never struck me as particularly happy. And so I never really got – I loved watching it and I think it probably started my – the stand-up I like tends to be the more 
aggressively cynical stuff because it's quite cynical. Oh, yeah. Compared to him on any chat shows, just turning up and not really letting the the Uh interviewer get a word in. Oh, yeah. Which always annoyed me because that's not what I watch chat shows Mm. for. And ironically, ironically, he grew up to it nudged. No, well, yeah, I know, yeah, um, but it's uh, that's not really what what chat shows are for, and it's easy to kind of see. You can read so much into the fact that he would never answer any questions directly about himself, yeah. and he's not the only person who's like that. I think you get Jim Carrey's probably a bit like that, and mm-hmm. there are there are a few others who they're not. He's not just the template for that. There are lots of comedians who wouldn't let you in. Andy mm. Kaufman. Oh was, my God. Yeah, none of them quite as annoying as Robin Williams was when he was on the couch. But it was like, oh no, Andy Kaufman was much more annoying. Yeah, he was than much more Robin annoying. Williams. But the the most of the first films I saw him in because he was a little bit like Will Smith. That's a weird thing to say. In that he he did all of the big films. That those are what he got famous for. But when he first started going from TV to films, mm. he was doing dramatic. I remember watching The World According to Garb, yeah. some really late night, you know, mm. it's it's not a film loads of people know, but I think it was his first mm. movie performance. No, Popeye, I think. Was it? Though? I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure Popeye came first, I or could know. I be wrong? It might, it might have done, but, but Wasn't Garp, Garp is, 82? Popeye was 80, I think Garp was 82. Maybe, I'm not sure. I don't know, maybe you're right. You're better at that sort of thing than me. But Garp was played straight. Oh, it's yeah. a funny film, yeah. but it's funny in mm. that way that it's funny in that way that a really dark, cynical writer can look at the world. And John Lithgow's the funniest thing in that film. Yeah. But he was an actor. I mean, he was a straight actor. Yeah. He always was. That's how he trained. He just he had this energy that needed to come out as a stand-up. You know, he didn't take a stand-up route like a, a maybe a Louis C.K. who's yeah. sort of found a, a, a more sort of... Uh, you know, a, a TV show, and yeah. you imagine. I guess he's in films and stuff now. I don't really. I no, like I his stand up, so, but he's a jobbing comedian. Him and exactly, uh, but, Mark Maron. And people whereas, like whereas Williams was was a he was a, an actor and a very gifted one at that. He just he, it was that nervous energy mm. uh, or cocktail of drugs. One or the other that he took. Well, so he was with Belushi the night Belushi died. So presumably, sort of. They were they were on a similar um, plane of consciousness together. Trajectory, yeah, maybe. I think um, it, it's uh, it, it's mostly dramatic roles that I really remember him for. And actually, in recent in recent years, I'd almost forgotten about him. Um, and I've heard people talk about that being his him. I saw somebody referring to him probably struggling to cope with his decline. Which, if you look at his career, he probably was. He'd just gone back to TV, hadn't he? Well... And the show he was on got shit-canned, I think. The show he was on got shit-canned, yeah. But I think that um, it's kind of... It's possibly seeing cause and effect the wrong way around, or maybe not even Mm. seeing cause and effect. Maybe they're not even being cause and effect. Yeah, I wouldn't even... I I know from my point of view, I don't even want to speculate. It's like, well... He wasn't making as many films. Yeah, And so when one of them didn't land... Mm-hmm. That seemed like a bigger deal, but it's like... Well, actually, podcasting's taught me not to judge people for not making films anymore and not judge what their motivations are, what Hollywood's motivations are, after a very early momcast where um, I laid into Rick Moranis. Oh, yeah. Only to find that his film career had ebbed because his wife, I think, passed away and he'd basically given up 
working yeah. in film to look after his family. So you you don't know, and no. I think you made the point earlier, don't you? You see you see someone on the screen, you make an assumption about who they are and what they are. You don't know you don't know what their motivations are. How can you? So it's foolish to speculate, and you don't know what the motivations of their prospective or potential employers are either. No. Are we talking about Robin Williams or are we talking about your interview tomorrow? I don't know. Um, the, the, in the last year, the things that had brought me uh, back to thinking about Robin Williams a lot um, were he was in an episode of Louis C.K. of Louis, which was just amazing. And you've seen pictures of that quite a lot. There's, uh, there, there was, there's an animated gif because there's a scene where mm-hmm. Louis C.K. and Robin Williams are standing and they kind of break and start laughing, both of them. And you hear a little bit more about the episode because the whole episode is about them them not knowing each other but both mm. turning up at the f- – they're the only two people at the funeral of a stand-up okay. that they both knew that nobody else turned up to. Mm. And at the end of it, they promise – I don't know. Don't want to spoil it. You might want to watch it, listener. Uh, Louis, uh, Louis, it's a really good episode of Louis. So there was that, and there was an episode of Harmontown, the podcast, where they had been taking, they had been mercilessly taking the piss. I don't know if he knew this, but they'd been mercilessly taking the piss out of him uh, over the previous few weeks because, and it hadn't ever occurred to me. Um, at the time but actually by today's perspective when you watch his old stand-up a lot of his impersonations a lot of his voices and stuff they're um anachronistically racist mm. or did you know what i mean or, mm. or they seem they, they seem an, uh, anachronistically racist or like apu from the simpsons it depends on how you want to look at it in, in so much as when you listen to eddie murphy stand up it's so sexist it makes your toes curl to the point yeah. where you think they're going to pop off and it's not that it's not that it wasn't racist. It's just that our standards have kind of mm. most of our standards have shifted to the point where we didn't register it when we were listening mm. to it before. Um, and so they'd been taking the piss out of him on that. But then the following week, because he was a huge comic fan yeah. as well as being a huge video game fan, mm-hmm. um, he happened to turn up with Bobcat Goldthwait because Bobcat oh, well, yeah. Goldthwait was turning up. Mm. So he was on there, and if he knew that they'd he handled he was so classy. And wasn't trying to take over or anything, and it was good. But also there's an, a Mark Maron interview with him that is just amazing from within the last year, I think. Um, and the, the main part of that is about I hadn't realised he was accused – people have accused him down the, time, down the line of um, stealing jokes. Oh, I did not know that. Um, and he was very – and it's a thing that comes up on Mark Maron every every few comedians, every ten or so comedians, there'll be someone who because there are a few people who who are accused of this. Robin Williams has always apparently had a um, a reputation of if someone calls him on it and he looks at it and realizes, oh yeah, I did use this joke when I was doing a bit of stand up. He will pay, he will pay them, mm. which a lot of uh, comedians will dig in. You know, and so mm-hmm. no, that didn't happen, yeah, sort of yeah. thing. Whereas uh, Robin Williams and I get, I buy this to be honest. So much of what he was doing was just stream of consciousness, yeah. literally just trying to get the voices out. That him recycling stuff that he picked up mm-hmm. from other places, yeah, is is kind of I, I can see it mm-hmm. happening. And and and, but at, at the time he was also talking a lot about how he'd recently relapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Drugs-wise, he was on a he was on a film shoot somewhere in the middle of nowhere, 
um, and feeling quite isolated. And I think he relapsed quite badly. And he was just coming back from it at that point. Sure. So it was quite... Um, so that that's been that's been in my mind those three things, and also the film we watched last night. Not last night. We watched on Saturday night or Friday night. Doesn't matter. Uh, we introduced our friends Oki and Matt to the film The World's Greatest Dad. Okay. Which is directed and written by Bobcat Goldthwait again, mm-hmm. um, and is Robin Williams is in it as um, a teacher who's also a writer who's kind of quiet and kind of at the bottom of every pile. And his son is an absolute asshole, mm-hmm. like a complete asshole, And mm-hmm. it's just totally horrible to him. He's constantly getting Robin Williams characters, constantly getting called in front of his boss, the principal, because his son's such a nightmare. Mm. Um, and a tragedy happens. And then you get to see how he responds to tragedy and then you get to see how everybody else in the town and the school responds to tragedy. And um, it's amazing. It's incredibly real. It's incredibly honest. I loved it instantly and I was surprised that Amy did because it's quite bleak. Okay. But but also kind of weirdly hopeful and accepting of how weird people are. Yeah. Um, And... But she loved it as well, and our friends loved it when we rewatched it with them. But um, there's a reason why you're not hearing any quotes from it, or seeing any macros from it on um, on Tumblr mm-hmm. or anywhere in the wake of him dying, despite seeing clips from Hook and mm. from Aladdin and from everything else mm-hmm. that say, "Oh, he's in a better place with with Aladdin now," and and stuff like that. Um, Delusional because, bollocks, you mean? Because you would look like an asshole if you used any of the prominent <laughs> quotes from this. It's about, the film is about suicide. Yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of about suicide and uh, none of the sound bites would seem appropriate mm. except they're completely appropriate. Yeah, yeah. If he was a darker comedian, I, I, I choose to think, and this is entirely me mapping onto him, I choose to think that Robin Williams is a nicer person than me and that's why... That's why maybe things weighed on him probably more heavily than they do on me. I don't know. That's assumptions. But I choose to think that that little smile he had mm. was meant that he didn't quite have my cold, dark mm. heart. You get that impression from seeing him even yeah. in his most manic moments that he wanted things to be nicer than they were. He um, he gets accused often, including mm-hmm. Bicentennial Man and stuff like that, of picking projects that present – a more hopeful version of the yeah. world than necessarily I believe in. Mm. So um, um, I'm not sure what my point was. Did you get where I was going? I did. I, I did get where you were going. It's interesting you say um, assuming that he was a better person than you because obviously I assume that everyone's a better person than me. Recently on the BBC News website they had this – or was it going around Twitter? But I think it was like a top ten dictators list. Mm-hmm. And they had, like, you know, numbers of uh, hundreds of thousands murdered. I was thinking about maybe getting that laminated and titling it People Who Are Definitely Worse Than You Are. <laughs> and when I'm feeling really low, I'm going to just get it out and go, oh, yeah, Pol Pot, yeah, good. It's nice to, it's nice to know. Eddie Armin, yeah, good. No it, doesn't, it doesn't matter how bad things get, mm. you probably won't hit the top seven of mm. that. Uh, definitely not the top Roman five. Roman Catholic Church, right, good. Um, we uh, we are running out of time, and I just yeah. wanted to mention something else that happened this week. Uh, a couple of things. You, you mentioned Scarlett. Um, Noah 
given the extra amount of space and the carpet mm. at my in-law's house, uh, has been doing – he's been crawling properly. Cool. I don't know if you've seen him. He tends to do a, a commando crawl. No, but my wife and daughter did yeah, last he, week. He I does believe. the commando crawl. And, mm. um, and yeah, on that floor he was doing lots of normal crawling. Yeah. That was good. Um, and he's starting to – he definitely knows what the word mama means now. He isn't just repeat, mm. repeating it. Because when you ask him where's mama mm. or where's Antiochi or any of those things, he'll look for them. Mm-hmm. Also, I spent a lot of time watching uh, children's TV over the weekend. Okay, Those adverts are awful. Oh, yeah. You, you ain't seen nothing yet. What side are you watching? Nick, Nick Jr.? Watching we were, a lot no, of we were flicking back between um, uh, CITV, I think, and Channel 5. Oh, oh so Milkshake. <sighs> you watch Milkshake. Oh, my God. It's the worst of humanity. I don't, well, not the worst. I mean, Pol Pot and all that. We need to, we need we to talk about... We need to flip out we, your little list. We, yeah, we need to talk about this in more detail. My daughter um, enjoys watching YouTube on the iPad. It's not unsupervised, but we let her have reasonable free reign within certain parameters she is obsessed with unboxing videos yeah oh, and, and, and i can't before. believe how many there are of just people demoing stuff taken out of a kinder egg really quite slickly produced or unboxing things she's obsessed with it but weirdly it hasn't made her demand things she's aware they exist well, she isn't demanding of them, which is strange. She just seems fascinated with it. And I start to worry. And then I think, well, no, as, as a kid, I was always fascinated with seeing stuff about toys. As a kid, toys are really interesting. They're one of your main topics of interest. And actually, watching these videos, she's kind of getting the visceral buzz from watching them opened without me having to shell out any money. So maybe, just maybe... They're a force for good. I do worry about the welfare of some of the children that are in the videos in terms their parents seem to be a little bit obsessed with the fact they're making videos um, and have some minor internet celebrity, by the by. But um, it doesn't seem at present all that damaging, but I, I still feel really uncomfortable with it. Unboxing videos are a weird thing, but mm. I kind of get it. Mm. Um, the adverts... I it's really difficult for me because I try not I try not to let gender stuff even though we talk about it all the time I try not mm. to let it bother me that much or to see it everywhere and at the same time I really like capitalism I really like consumerism but then you watch five adverts in a row and it's all boys playing with mm-hmm. cheap plastic tatty mm. all of it licensed to mm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or something yeah crap and then you see the girl adverts and it's all mm-hmm. like it's not even girl adverts for mm. wholesome am i using the word wholesome it's kits so that you can mm. make these little high heel shoes that you will never be able to wear because mm. they're tiny yeah that you can decorate them mm. um oh no it's horrible it's it's Gen- gendered toys i mean it's a nightmare and it's I why think playmobil's the only one that used both genders yeah kind of probably and it's why these unboxing videos actually i'm not that massively uncomfortable because they show they just show the products in a real world setting it's a human being or two human beings opening a box and reacting to what's inside mm. there's no frills there's no bullshit 
it is what it is. Some of it are clearly sponsored and supported by industry, but it's kind of it's no frills advertising. It's like, well, like I've opened a Kinder Egg and there's a toy inside. Well, great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that that actually probably disposes of some of the mystery. That might be why mm. she's not demanding it because actually they're pretty boring. She likes Kinder Egg, but she's she's not a pestering yeah. kid at the moment. You know, she's aware that. Like the surprises, mm. you can go and watch all mm. of the surprises on video and suffer it vicariously. Yeah. Suffer it. She's pretty. She, she's pretty chilled out like that. But you know, <sighs> that's a con- That is a huge. Co- we've yeah. basically touched on loads of stuff that are huge conversations. Yeah. Um, well, that's good. It means we haven't run out of things to say on two grown men yet. So that's we won't have to kill this one yet. Yeah, another four years yet. <laughs> As James said, uh, or I said, as we, we said about James, the next two shows are going to be pre-recorded. But hopefully they'll still be good. Yeah. He'll be in Devon. Mm. Um, we're not going to try and pretend that he's here and no. we're doing it. In time. We yeah. might do. We might have forgotten we said this by the time we record it. Who knows? Um, There's a lot of drinking between now and then. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the site is at twogrownmen.net. There are full show notes on there. I will try to get back on to the mailing list. We've had a couple of weeks of being a bit rubbish with that. I'm thinking seriously of dropping the show notes aspect from it, though, because it seems – I can't imagine anyone actually I, – I think what you really want is all me just brain splurging whatever's going on with my mental health that week um, and then maybe a recipe at the end. So, oh, yeah, I should get back on that. Didn't even talk about me trying to return the homeopathy stuff to Boots. We'll definitely save that for the next it. one. We need to talk about that. Yeah, next definitely. Um, thank you, listener. You're awesome. Yeah, cheers. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.